We are so glad you've joined us today for our Sunday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we are continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke, so let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. Soon your trials will be over. So in John chapter 1, verse 24, he says, Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, the anointed one? nor Elijah, nor the prophet. One thing that um, we need to understand is he goes on and he says, John answers saying, I baptize with water, but there stands among you um, one whom you do not know. He says, I baptize with water. One of the things that we need to understand as Christians is that baptism didn't begin with us. We're not the one that invented baptism. Baptism has been around for a long, long time. The Jews have been baptizing people for thousands of years, okay? And so this, this understanding of baptism is a Hebraic understanding, and it speaks of identification. Baptism has everything to do with identification. And so when one was baptized, he identified himself with the person that brought that message, is what happens there. In Judaism, when a Gentile underwent the process of conversion to Judaism, he would also be baptized, and by so doing, would identify himself with Judaism and the Jewish people. Of that old life that I had as a Gentile goes down and is buried, and now I am now in, in agreement with this, with this newfound faith of Judaism. And it's the same thing today. Baptism all speaks of identification. When John was baptizing, what he was doing is that he was proclaiming, his was a baptism of repentance. And the message he was proclaiming was talking about the coming of the Messiah, And he's saying, you're not right with God. Your passion is no longer there with God. And you need to repent because you know that you're not ready to meet God yet. And that your life is not what it's supposed to be in your relationship with God. And because of that, you need to repent. You're not ready to meet God yet. And they're saying, you're right. I have lost my focus. I have lost my passion. All these sacrifices I'm doing, and every time I go to synagogue, all I'm doing is going through the motions, because this is what a good Jew is supposed to do. But there is no love relationship there. My heart is not right. So because of that, they hear John's words, and they're going, he's right, he's right. And John tells them, and I'm the forerunner, the Messiah is coming, you want to be ready. And so they were flocking to him. And he was baptizing them because they were receiving that message and they were identifying with what John was saying, that they're a sinner, that they aren't in right relationship with God. And they believed him when he said, and the Messiah is coming. And, the Messiah, and, and you know what? Baptism is the same today. We identify with what Jesus did for us on the cross. We identify and we are in agreement with what he did on the cross. And on the cross, he said, you're a sinner. You need saving. I'm the Savior. I'm going to die for you and pay the penalty for you so you may have life. And I look at that and I go, I agree. I'm a sinner. I need saving. You're the Savior and you paid the penalty for me on the cross. And so when I get baptized, I'm identifying with Jesus' message. I'm identifying with what his life says. And so I, just like Jesus was brought down into the grave and rose again three days later, I also identify with him with going under the water and then coming up with him in newness of life. And so that is what baptism, for the most part, is all about. And you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved, but you have to be baptized 
in order to be in obedience with Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that. And we're going to have a baptism here probably in the next uh, probably three months or so. And it'll be on a Wednesday night here on uh, Wednesday night Bible study. And so if you have not been baptized, I really encourage you to do so. All right. Um, and so, again, John has this message of repentance. And, uh, and so people are coming out and being baptized with him. And he says, but there stands among you one whom you do not know. I believe that Jesus was in the crowd that day. When he was uh, speaking and when he was baptized, I believe that Jesus was in the crowd that day, but it was not uh, the day for him to be revealed. That was going to take place the next day, as we're going to see here next week. In verse 27, he says, It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. To untie the strap of a sandal... You would do that at a foot washing or, or just to take a sandal off your master's feet was the duty of the lowest slave in the household. The rabbis of Jesus' day taught that a teacher might require just about anything from his students except to have them take off his sandals because that was so low. John is saying, I'm not even qualified to do that with this guy. That's how high and mighty and honorable the master is. The Messiah is. I'm not even worthy to do that. Let's go back here to Luke chapter 3. Half hour and we're just at verse 2. It's kind of the way it works sometimes. At the end, but we're at the end of verse 2. It says, at the end of verse 2, it says, The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. The word, word there is not in the Greek logos. It is actually the Greek word rima. And it has the meaning of a distinct message. John's message was the message of repentance, is what that message was. The word repentance is the word metanoia. It means a change of mind. It means a change of mind in the sense of this. I had, uh, uh, I, I, my understanding was I was walking this way. That was my understanding. I've had a change of mind, not to where I've just gone this way or this way or just zigzag as I could. I've had a change of mind where it stops me dead in my tracks and I now start going in the complete opposite direction of what I was going. It speaks of that 180 degree turn. This way is no longer correct. I've been met with the person of Jesus Christ. I've been met with what it is to truly walk in righteousness and that's not the way. And I've been convicted of that. I need to repent. And I have to stop living the way that I was living before. That is what repentance means. It's a complete changing of the mind. And there's a close connection between repentance and forgiveness. Repentance is a sign of the grace of God in the work in our lives. Saving faith, true repentance are always found linked together. A saved soul is a repentive soul. And I'm here to tell you that when you come to Christ, it's not as though it's a one-time repentance and you never have to repent again. It's an ongoing repentance. It's now part of your life. This is now part of your character that one of the qualities people see in you is that he's very repentive. When he does something wrong, he's very quick to say, I'm sorry. He's very quick to admit that what he has done is wrong. And he has this repentive spirit. It's part of... Uh, of being saved in the person of Jesus Christ is that you now measure yourself according to God's word. You don't measure yourself according to the person who's sitting next to you. And I'm also here to tell you this. If you're in sin here today, 
living with someone you're not supposed to be living with, doing things with somebody uh, that you're not supposed to be doing things with, having uh, some sort of uh, um, sin in your life that, that some stealing has taken place, and now that's part of your life. This is what you do. And yet you call yourself a believer, and you can sit here and not be convicted by the Holy Spirit? I challenge if you're even saved. Because, see, one of the qualities of being saved is that you have this repentive spirit. I'm not talking about the person that is struggling with their flesh and knows what they're doing is wrong. And it grieves them that they haven't been able to find victory in it yet. That's different because that is the Holy Spirit. If that's you, we want to walk with you. And and there's something that we could do to help you get it right. But if you're able to sit there and say, I know, I know I'm sinning. I don't care. This is what I want to do. But don't tell me I'm not a believer. I won't tell you that. But I know God's probably telling you that. And if you don't care, whoa. I would question. I don't know who you are. I would question. And I'm not going to go up to you. I'm not going to try and find out who that is, you know. Here's the thing. You can fool me. I don't count. You can't fool God. So who are you really fooling? At the end of the age, when we're all before the Lord, are you going to be able to look at me and go, ha ha, fooled you? I'm going to go, dude, you feel those flames? I don't think you, I don't think you fooled me. It's like, come on. What's the point? What's the point of that? Of going along, doing what you want to do, but yet still proclaiming that you're a believer? Wow. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 13. One of my favorite areas of scripture is all the parables that Jesus is speaking about, kingdom of heaven and who we are and things like that. And here in verse 24 is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And it says this, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servant of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? And he said, No, lest while they gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Now look what it says over here in verse 37. Jesus explains, he, he gives you uh, who all these players are and what they mean. And he says, um, he says in verse 37, he answers to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man, which is Jesus himself. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. So he's saying, look, amongst the people of God, there are the people of Satan. They're in this sanctuary, as a matter of fact. And they're easy to identify. They usually have a Raider jersey on. I don't know. I just... It's a joke. I am that shallow. And so, but you're going to have the wheat and the tares. And they're going to be sitting amongst us. They're in this fellowship. 
But here's the thing, you really can't tell because wheat and tares look exactly alike. And it isn't till they grow and become mature that all of a sudden it produces kernels and fruit, which weighs it down, and then it begins to bow under the weight of that. And that's how you can tell the difference. One is standing up tall and prideful, and the other one, as it grows to maturity, becomes more humble. And that's how you're going to know. But you're not going to know that until the end, until maturity takes place. And here's the thing. Should I go and pluck out that tear? God says, no. You know why? Because in doing so, you might hurt some of the, some of the wheat. You might pull that out by mistake, meaning I'm not, I'm not that discerning. I can't figure out who is really walking with the Lord and who isn't. I can't. And so God is telling me, don't even go there. Don't worry about it. That's something for me to do later on. So you can fool me, and that's okay. It's just not okay for you if you're fooling me. I'm not supposed to do anything about that. But understand, I'm not the one, I'm not the one that you answer to. You answer to God, and you cannot fool him. You cannot fool him. Going back here to um, Luke Chapter 3, verse 4, it says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight. And the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This prophecy is speaking of a widespread custom of the day. When a prominent ruler was about to visit a city, the citizens would construct a smooth, broad road so he could enter the city with due pomp and dignity. What Isaiah saw here, he didn't see a road being smoothed over to enter a city. Isaiah saw these uh, great mountains being flattened and valleys filled in so this broad superhighway could be made ready for the Messiah, the king. And what he is saying here is that, um, although I do believe this is talking specifically of Jesus at his second coming, John is saying here, mend your lives. When John is quoting Isaiah here, he's saying, mend your lives, uh, remove the obstacles in your life, flatten the mountains of sin in your lives, fill in the valleys of ignorance in your lives, and repent so Jesus may have full access to you. That there's nothing hindering him from doing what he wants you to do in the way of being straightened up. Admit wrongdoing, and that will open your way to knowing him. Thus, having that repentive spirit all the time. It's just part of your character of who you need to be in Christ Jesus. You need to have this repentive spirit all the time. I blew it. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. And and it says in verse 6 of Luke 3, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Why? Because they're going to see it through you. You're different. That guy never said before that he was wrong. He has never, my whole life knowing him, ever asked forgiveness for anything. And when he makes a mistake, he doesn't own up to it. He never does. And now I know he's a believer in Jesus Christ. And for the last six months, I've seen a difference in him or her. And they're going to be able to see the salvation of God. Bruce Barton tells a story about how his very first important journalistic assignment that was given to him was to try and expose the evangelist uh, Billy Sunday. 
And he says, so Barton went to a town that Billy Sunday had just recently preached in and started talking to the merchants there. Bruce Barton writes, the merchants told me that after the crusade meetings, people would walk up to the counter to pay bills that were so old that they had been written off the books. He then went to the president of the chamber of commerce of that town, and the president said, I'm not a religious man or a member of any church. I never attend church, but I'll tell you one thing. If it was proposed now to bring Billy Sunday to this town, and if we knew as much about the results of his work, and it really wasn't his work, it was God's work, in advance as we do now, and if the churches did not raise the necessary funds to bring him, I could raise the money in half a day from men who never go to church. He left a different moral atmosphere. And again, he has it wrong in the sense that he left it. It wasn't Billy Sunday. He was the voice. It was the message that he was speaking about. And it had to do with the person of Jesus Christ that all these people came to know face to face. And it changed them. And they, to, to the point where they repented of their ways and they realized that if I receive Jesus, I have to make right those things that I have made wrong. That's a true repent of heart. That's a true repent of heart. Billy Graham, when he preached in Shreveport, Louisiana, it was said that liquor sales dropped by 40%. And sales of Bibles increased 300%. That's the difference of, of when you preach and, and people receive the message of the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus really is the antiseptic to the wound of moral depravity in this world. It's all about Jesus. If we want to see Castle Rock cleaned up, if we want to see people change, that they need to hear the good news of the person of Jesus Christ. The answer is not gun control. And the answer is not condoms or tolerance or anything like that. The answer is pure and simple. The person, Jesus Christ. When a person knows the Lord Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, you know what? They don't go and shoot somebody in cold blood. They don't. When a person knows the Lord Jesus Christ, when a woman comes to know Jesus, you know what? She doesn't get an abortion. So the issue isn't abortion. The issue isn't this. The issue is still the same. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Somebody caught up in the sex trade that is trafficking women and children. When they come to know the person of Jesus Christ, you know what? They will stop doing that. The person of Jesus has always been the answer. And is still the answer. And what sometimes we get caught up in, and I'm not saying that, that you don't um, vote for good legislation that will help curb this, but it will never be the answer to this. And we can't sit back and go, oh, finally, we got that initiative passed. We don't have to worry about personhood anymore. Yeah, you will. A person wants to get an abortion, they're still going to get an abortion. And you know what? That person needs Jesus. That's the only way that stops that. And any crime, war, whatever, it's a person of Jesus. When they come to know Jesus, that's when their behavior changes and where repentance takes place. He goes on and says in Luke chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Then he said to the multitudes who came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers. How would you like to be, you know, dressed like that? His snakes. And he says, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then he tells them, who he's talking about here. He's talking about the self-righteous Pharisees that believe that they have this bloodline to Abraham. How do we know that? Let's keep reading. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. 
You know why? Because Jesus is the rock. I'm one of these children from, that he raised up from stones because I believe in Jesus being the rock of my salvation. John um, advice is to continue to produce fruit to show that you are truly repentant and do not think because you have this bloodline with Abraham that that's going to save you. It doesn't matter if you have uh, Christians for parents. If you have not made a commitment yourself, that is not going to save you. Abraham was saved. Abraham was righteous because he believed God, it said. His righteousness came by faith in what God said. And you know what? My righteousness comes from faith in what God has said. And God's word says, Dave, you're a sinner and you need a savior. And it was my son who saved you. And I said, I believe your words. And that's what makes me righteous is my faith in the person of Jesus Christ and what God's word has said. Jesus said this, it says, you will know them by their fruits in Matthew 7. He says, do, not, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. But Davis, Christians, we do bear bad fruit. That's right. And then you ask for forgiveness, and guess what? That fruit goes away. And you're left with what? Just the good fruit you've been doing? There's the difference. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. All these wonderful things that these saints have done. And you'll notice what isn't recorded, all the things that they've done in the flesh. And when you look at that, man, they just, all they did was bear good fruit. Yes and no. Yes, that's all that remains. But no, and when the bad fruit was there, they asked forgiveness and it's gone. It's not even recorded after that. And that's what's so exciting about being in the person of Jesus Christ. You will only produce good fruit. And it will be seen in your character. And and that true fruit actually begins with the fruit of the Spirit that speaks of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So we have to have this this character, this, this understanding of repentance and know that, that um, it doesn't matter uh, what your bloodline is. If you don't know the person of Jesus Christ, that bloodline, I don't care how many preachers are in your history or anything like that, isn't going to do you any good. And just because you have a bloodline to Abraham doesn't mean anything. As a matter of fact, Paul says this in Galatians 3.26, For you're all sons of God through Abraham as your ancestor. doesn't say that. It says, for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You want to be a child of Abraham? Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then you become a child of God. And so Luke 3, 9, and we'll end with this. It says, and even now, the axe is laid to the roots of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John is saying that judgment is coming. And even now, the axe is close to being cut down the trees that are not bearing fruit, the real fruit of a changed life. And that only comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Neither death nor even life. 
Well, that concludes today's edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in next Sunday as we continue our study in the Gospel of Luke. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at the 5 p.m. service on Saturday. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station, right across from Starbucks. For more information about us on this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thanks again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Amen.